Welcome to Oncology Data Advisor. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Jason Muabi, who is one of our editorial board members. And Dr. Muabi recently returned from the 2023 San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium. And today, he's here to talk about some of the highlights from the conference. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be here. We just came from a very interesting uh, San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium. A lot of new stuff, a lot of exciting research happening in the field of uh, breast medical oncology. Uh, today, we're going to highlight uh, some of the new advances for the medical oncologists. So during the meeting, there is a lot of basic science happening. There is a lot of research that pertains to radiation oncology, a lot of research that pertains to surgical oncology. But here we're going to focus about uh, the perspective of the medical oncologists. What's new? What's exciting? What's coming uh, to practice in the near future? Again, I'm Jason Moabi. I'm an assistant professor at the Department of Breast Medical Oncology. I'm also a part of the editorial board of Oncology uh, Data Advisor, and I'm the chair of the Scientific Advisor Board of the Lobdell Breast Cancer Alliance. As an outline, we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about the HER2 climb or two. We're going to talk about the updates on the Monarch 3 trial, and we're going to talk about this new uh, drug that uh, was thrown to us. So the, the press release happened on Tuesday. The organizers was, were scrambling to add it to the meeting and they finally added on Friday. So the last day of the meeting. So this is the Inavo 120 study. So very exciting stuff. Let's first start with the her 2 climb uh, 2 So this was the primary analysis of a randomized double blind Phase three trial of tucatinib and trastuzumab impensine, also known as TDM1, for previously treated HER2-positive metastatic breast cancer. It was presented by Dr. Sarah Horvitz. Let's do a little bit of perspective why this study is important. So if you look at the approach to therapy for HER2-positive uh, her breast cancer, so first-line therapy is still the Cleopatra regimen, which is a taxane in combination with a dual HER2 blockade, trastuzumab and pertuzumab. Second line has changed in recent years with the emergence of uh, the Destiny Breast 03, where the second line uh, now is Trastuzumab Droxtecan. Now, I kept it as second line, third line. It's mainly a third line regimen. It's uh, the HER2 Climb 01 study. This is the Tucatinib plus Ketazidine plus Trastuzumab. However, some physicians are using it as second line therapy, especially in patients with the uh, brain uh, mats, which is uh, very uh, relevant for HER2 positive breast cancer because 50% of metastatic or 2 positive breast cancer will have involvement of uh, the CNS. And at fourth line plus, here we have single agent chemotherapy plus HER2 uh, directed therapy, either trastuzumab or margetoximab. But as you can see from this landscape, TDM1 has been lost. So uh, if you remember a few years ago, uh, trastuzumab, uh, trastuzumab and tensine was the second line therapy for patients with metastatic HER2 positive breast cancer. However, with the emergence of trastuzumab deroxtecan and tucatinib, it has lost its way. And nowadays we really don't know where to put it in our algorithm. So where does it fit? So we're gonna see now. So this is the HER2 CLIMB-02 study. It was for HER2 positive locally advanced or metastatic breast cancer that progressed on prior uh, taxane in combination with HER2 direct therapy. 
the, the study did allow for patients with brain mats. So they were randomized one-to-one -to, -one to receive either TDM1 plus tocatinib or TDM1 plus placebo. And the primary outcome they were looking for was progression-free survival. If you look at the demographic and baseline characteristic of the patient enrolled, you could see that uh, about uh, two-thirds of them were also uh, hormone positive, which really represent uh, this population very well. If you look at uh, the, if they had brain mats, about 50% did, and out of those, 20% uh, had active uh, brain mats. Now let's focus on how many prior lines of systemic therapy. So the, the median prior lines uh, of therapy was one. And if you look at uh, those patients, most of them received prior pertuzumab and a very minority of them received the prior anti-HER2 TKI. This, this was the primary endpoint, which was progression-free survival. And we can see here that the addition of tocatinib 2TDM1 improved the progression-free survival from 7.4 months to 9.5 months with a hazard ratio of 0.76 and that was statistically significant. If you look at uh, those patients of special interest, the patient with brain mats, you can see that the addition of tocatinib improved the PFS from 5.7 months to 7.8 months with a hazard ratio of 0.64. When looking at the uh, common adverse events, so nothing uh, out of the, the, the norm was seen here. We already are experienced with tocatinib, remember from the HER2 climb one in combination with kipcitabine and uh, trastuzumab. So we are well-versed about using tocatinib and we, we did see the, what's expected from tocatinib. So this is an increased incidence of the diarrhea and elevation of the uh, liver function uh, enzymes. So if we look at, again, the algorithm of how we treat or the landscape of how we treat HER2 positive uh, advanced breast cancer. So where I truly believe the HER2 climb regimen is going to come into place, is going to be like a replacement of tocatinib plus capsaicin plus trastuzumab, where here you can use tocatinib plus TDM1 instead of that regimen. But it's not going to change much the landscape of the current treatment. But I'm happy to see one of those drugs that for the longest time, it's been one of the best medication we had uh, for her to positive make a resurgence in combination with tocatinib. Now let's shift gear to the Monarch 3 trial. So the Monarch 3 trial, as we're gonna discuss uh, in a little bit, um, we already it already met its primary endpoint about pro uh, improving progression-free survival. However, we still did not have uh, the final overall survival results. And uh, at San Antonio, they also uh, showed us finally the, the final overall survival results of the addition of abemaciclib, which is a CDK4-6 inhibitor, plus a non-steroidal aromatase inhibitor, which is considered an endocrine therapy or an anti-hormone therapy, as first-line therapy for hormone-positive HER2-negative advanced breast cancer. This was presented by uh, Dr. Matthew Gotts and... Uh, just a little bit of a refresher. So when we look about CDK4-6 inhibitors, uh, initially we thought that maybe all of them are equivalent, but recently we started getting more and more data that maybe not, maybe each one has special characteristics. And here we're gonna, I'm gonna just highlight, for example, two of them. Uh, the one in uh, purple or 
For blue, it's the uh, Abema Cichlid. This is the one on the top. For Verzenio, that's the brand name. The one on the bottom is Palbocyclib or Ibrand. And you can see that uh, their targets are a little bit different. So all of them target CDK4 and 6, but you can see that the uh, Abema Cichlid have more uh, targets. So it target other CDK. So you can see here it targets CDK7, CDK9, and CDK2. Whereas, for example, Ibrance is more specific to CDK4 and 6. This is a busy slide, but here I'm trying to summarize all the different studies that look at CDK4-6 inhibitors and in hormone-positive breast cancer. The Paloma studies are with uh, Palbocyclib or Ibrance. The Mona Lisa study, uh, studies are with Ribocyclib or Cascali, and the Monarch studies are with Abemacyclib or Verzenium. Now, let's focus first on the Mona Lisa studies. All three studies have shown to uh, statistically significantly improve progression-free survival and overall survival. If we focus on the Paloma study, yes, all those three studies did improve the progression-free survival. However, none of them improved the overall survival. And if you look at the Monarch, so the first Monarch study that came, the Monarch 2, did statistically improve the PFS and OS. However, the Monarch 3 did improve the PFS, but we didn't know if it did improve the OS. And that was the study. So again, this is just a refresher about the PFS result of the Monarch 3 that led to the global appro approval. So here you can see it improved the progression-free survival from 14.8 months to 28.2 months. And that with an impressive hazard ratio of 0.54, that was statistically significant. And this is the, the overall survival. And that was the highlight slide of this whole presentation. So here you can see that numerically, it did improve the overall survival from 53.7 months to 66.8 months. However, unfortunately, that was not statistically significant. So looking back at the three drugs we have, we have now Ibrance, which is palbocyclib, We have ribocyclib, which is Cascali, and we have abemacyclib, which is Verzenio. The only one, the only drug that has in every single study that it undergone has statistically significantly improved PFS and OS is ribocyclib. And that led to the NCCN guidelines as putting this regimen of aromatase inhibitor plus ribocyclib, the only one as category one on their guidelines. Whereas the one with the abemacyclib and palbocyclib are not uh, categorized as category one. All right, let's shift gear to the to the third uh, to the third study. Um, it's uh, this is a new drug called inavolisib, which is a PIC3CA inhibitor. And here the study looked at in, uh, inavolisib or placebo in combination with uh, palbocyclib and fulvestrin in patients with uh, PIK3CA mutated hormone receptor positive HER2 negative locally advanced or metastatic breast cancer. And the study was called the Inavo 120 study. And that was presented by Dr. Komal Jaberi. Again, let's put it in the context with a little bit of background. Let's look at the landscape or the algorithm of how we treat hormone-positive advanced or metastatic breast cancer. So the first-line therapy is a doublet, usually a combination of endocrine therapy, either an aromatase inhibitor or fulvestrin in combination with CDK46 inhibition. And then the second line, third line here, uh, if the patient is still considered uh, endocrine sensitive, we try to keep the endocrine therapy or 
change the endocrine therapy to something else and add uh, another targeted therapy, either something like Everolimus or Alpalacid in patient with PIK3CA mutation. Um, <clears throat> patient with ESR1 mutation, we tend to do a different endocrine therapy called Elacestrant, which is known also as an oral cert. And if a new, newly uh, FDA approved, if patient has an alteration in the P10, PI3 kinase, AKT pathway, we can also give them uh, a target therapy called capivacertib. And in this line of therapy, if patient do have uh, a pathogenic BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation, we can consider giving them a PARP inhibitor like olaparib or telazoparib. Now, once patient become endocrine refractory, these are either the third line plus or fourth line therapy. Uh, here we can do single agent uh, sequential chemotherapy. Very important, we forget it a lot that if patients have high TMB or MSI high, regardless of the tumor type, they qualify for pembrolizumab, so even breast cancer patients, so keep that in mind. Uh, if patients uh, do belong to the HER2 low category, they can qualify for a drug like trastuzumab, deroxtecan, and patients who are HER2 zero can either receive sasituzumab, govitecan, or in the near future, datopotamab, deroxtecan. But the question here, can we give first-line patient a triplet therapy? Can we move precision oncology more to the early setting instead of doing double doing a triplet? To understand what, what, um, um, what we're going to talk about, it's very important to understand the estrogen receptor pathway. Yes, this is a busy slide, but we're going to also try to uh, digest it together. The hallmark of the estrogen pathway is estradiol. And estradiol goes freely into the cytoplasm of uh, breast cancer cells and binds to the estrogen receptor, which lead to a cascade and it leads to cell division. So historically, the way we target that pathway is by inhibiting the production of estrogen or estradiol. And here we use an aromatase inhibitor to do that. However, you can also uh, block it the other way around. So instead of blocking the, the, the estrogen, you can block the receptor of the estrogen, which is called the ER, and that you can do that either by a selective estrogen receptor modulator like tamoxifen, or you can do it with a degrader of estrogen receptor or down-regulator of the estrogen receptor, like fulvestrin. But parallel to that pathway that happened at the same time, and often it's the culprit for the resistance to the therapy that target the estrogen, estrogen or the estrogen receptor is the PI3 kinase AKT mTOR pathway. And this is usually activated by something like insulin-like insulin growth factor when it binds to the insulin-like growth factor receptor 1, and it activates a phosphorylation cascade that leads to the uh, activation of the PI3 kinase, which in turn will activate the AKT, and that will uh, lead to uh, unleashing mTOR. And now, both those pathways eventually emerges into the cyclin D1 uh, uh, pathway, which is at the at the nucleus of the cell, and here it binds to the CDK4-6 uh, uh, proteins, and together they will allow the cell to go from the G1 phase to the S phase and allow for cell division and the propagation of of uh, the cancer. So we need more effective treatment for patients with uh, PI3 kinase mutation uh, that are also hormone positive or two negative. And uh, historically, this has been a very uh, attractive pathway. However, it's been very hard to target due to the challenges of uh, tolerability and safety of those drugs that target that pathway. Now, this new drug in avolacib, it's a highly potent selective PI3 kinase alpha inhibitor that also promotes the degradation of mutant P110 alpha, which may improve the therapeutic window. 
And in preclinical data, we've, we found that there is synergy between uh, inhibiting PI3 kinase and CDK4 and 6 in, in uh, models that had a PIK3CA mutation. So the study looked at the patient, so it was a first-line study of hormone-positive or two-negative advanced or metastatic breast cancer, and they looked at the, the cohort that did have a PIK3CA mutation. Uh, patient need to have a measurable disease, and those patients, uh, they also specifically chose patients with either primary or secondary endocrine resistance. So these are, these are tumors that have progressed within 12 months of finishing adjuvant endocrine therapy, so from the early setting, or while they were receiving adjuvant endocrine therapy, the cancer recurred. And they were randomized one-to-one -to, -one <laughs> to receive uh, inavolisib plus uh, palbociclib, which is one of the CDK46 inhibitors, plus fulvestrant, which is considered endocrine therapy, versus placebo plus palbociclib plus fulvestrant. The primary endpoint of the study was progression-free survival. If we look at the demographic and baseline disease characteristics, uh, if you can see here, for above 40% of patients were premenopausal. So those patients uh, received uh, some of them ovarian function suppression to suppress their ovaries. If we look at the, the patient, uh, there was very little bone-only disease, which I, I, I really uh, commend them for that. I mean, uh, those are truly, truly high-risk patients uh, because remember in hormone-positive uh, breast cancer, a lot of patients are bone-only disease, but these are patients, very, very little of them were bone-only. A lot of them had visceral metastatic disease. So 82% has visceral metastatic disease. If you look at uh, what the patient received prior to receiving that line of therapy, uh, a lot of them received uh, chemotherapy in the early setting. Most of them did. If you look at the prior endocrine therapy received, 50% of those patients received uh, tamoxifen. Uh, and, and that's one of the weaknesses, I would say, of the study. Uh, be because those high-risk patients, the majority of them, in the U.S. at least, will receive an aromatase inhibitor. So, but here, 50% received tamoxifen and went straight on to receive fulvestrant in and, and this uh, study. So they missed a very important line of therapy, which is an aromatase inhibitor. The other weakness of the study is that not a lot of patients received prior adjuvant CDK4-6 inhibitors. So honestly, very little amount of patients, three patients in the Inavo arm and one patient in the placebo arm, which is also not anymore what we see currently nowadays, because nowadays most of those patients that are high risk will have also already received adjuvant CDK4-6 inhibition. This is the primary endpoint of, of progression-free survival. And here we can see that the median progression-free survival improved from 7.3 months to 15 months. So more than doubling, very impressive, with an impressive hazard ratio of 0.43. When we have a hazard ratio of 0.43, that means about 60% of patients that received the, Ina the Inavo uh, drug had less chance of uh, progression or death by just receiving that therapy compared to placebo. If we look at the subgroup analysis, uh, all of them seem to benefit. And I, I want to cautious you with those patients that did uh, uh, did cross one. These were small numbers, so that's why uh, I, I take them with great caution to say that those those subgroup of patients did not benefit. Uh, just keep in mind there were very small number of patients in those groups. But in general, everybody seems to benefit across the board from uh, Inavo. 
Uh, overall survival uh, is not met yet. Has, they have not met it yet. However, it's good to see that the separation has occurred and uh, those curves are still separated. So this is reassuring. If you look at the overall response rate, it has improved by 33% by the addition of Inavo. And if you look at the clinical benefit rate, it's also has improved by around 30%. Now let's put it in perspective. So this is the first time we see uh, a target to the uh, PI3 kinase AKT mTOR pathway to in the first line setting. <clears throat> and here uh, uh, you can see that it's hard to really uh, compare it to other drugs in terms of efficacy because all the other drugs that target that pathway were, uh, were mainly focusing on the second line plus. But here you can see a little bit of uh, the comparing the PFS of uh, those different agents compared to placebo. But safety is what's really we need to focus on. So although those drugs, you know, are exciting, this is a very attractive pathway that we need to use. However, inavolacept does not come without its own fair share of adverse event. And here I really wanna highlight about like the diarrhea, which is almost half the patient will experience diarrhea and about 5% will have a grade three plus diarrhea. The rash, one out of four patients will experience rash on this drug. The hyperglycemia, about two-thirds of the patient will experience hyperglycemia, and 6% will have grade 3 hyperglycemia, diabetic, becomes diabetic. And uh, stomatitis, which is uh, ulcers in the mouth, about half of the patient experienced that, and 6% had severe stomatitis. So, yes, these are exciting, stuff, uh, exciting drugs, but they come at a huge uh, cost. So it's really important to give them to the right patient and not everybody. <clears throat> Again, the side effect profile is comparable to what was seen with the other drugs that target that pathway. However, if you compare Alpalisib, those side effects need to be more manageable. And case in point, if you look at the discontinuation rate, they were way less with Inavolisib compared to Alpalisib. 7% with Inavolisib and 25% with Alpalisib. So if we wanna look at, again, the landscape of hormone-positive advanced breast cancer, we can see that now on the first line, soon we're gonna get a new, a new triplet therapy of uh, fulvescent plus palbociclib plus inafolacid in patient with P3CA mutation. So soon we're gonna get a new line uh, therapy for the first line that for patient with P3CA mutation that progressed within uh, 12 months of adjuvant endocrine therapy or while receiving adjuvant endocrine therapy, which is a triplet of fulvestrin, palbociclib, plus uh, anabolism. Thank you.